0: Welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade. Thank you so much for joining me today. Last week, we talked about the murders of Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. This week, we're going to be talking about the murder of Dana Satterfield. So let's get started. Dana Satterfield was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina on November 16th, 1967. She was regarded as a dedicated woman who was always eager to assist others and who made instant friends. Dana met a guy in high school. They got married, and she soon gave birth to their daughter, Ashley, shortly after graduating high school. Dana's marriage quickly fell apart after she gave birth. She then met Paul Michael Satterfield, also known as Mike. And the couple married and had their son, Brandon Satterfield. Mike also ran his own air conditioning and heating company. Dana would stay at home with the children when they were smaller, while Mike brought in the money and Dana would work a few jobs here and there to increase their income. When her children got older, she decided that it was time to pursue her dreams and do something for herself. Dana aspired to be a hairstylist and to own her own salon in Roebuck, South Carolina. She designed the salon layout from an old mobile trailer with the help of Mike, who was excited and proud that she was finally fulfilling her dreams. Mike and Dana separated in 1995 after seven years of marriage. They weren't bitter about their split They were just on different wavelengths. Mike thought that they were getting back together, that they just, you know, needed some time apart, and eventually they would be back. But Dana was going to be meeting with a divorce lawyer later on. On July 1st, 1995, a woman named Shirley was selling cleaning supplies and went by the salon, where Dana purchased one of her products. Shirley walked by the salon again at 8 11 pm and glanced through the window to see Dana cleaning up before she left for the day. Shirley returned to the salon around 8 30 pm to wait for her ride home. As she walked by she noticed that the lights in the salon were still on so she goes and waits by the road because she was waiting for someone to pick her up. She then heard a big thump noise about two times. She keeps looking around to check if anything happened, and when she looked around again, the lights in the salon were off. Assuming that the lights were off meant that Dana was getting ready to leave, and Shirley was looking forward to speaking to her again just until her ride picked her up. She suddenly hears another loud sound and turns around to see a man jumping out of Dana's salon window. Shirley saw the man. The man saw Shirley and they both ran away from each other. Shirley goes to a liquor store to call the police when she runs into the man who jumped out the window. They just stood there looking at each other and she definitely got a good look at him. She stated that he had a crazed look in his eye and she ran away again hoping to be picked up by someone anyone so she could call the police. She decided to run to the nearest house and dial 911. Because it was described as a robbery, a police officer was dispatched to the salon. The window screen was pushed out, and the front door was left slightly open. The officer walked to the back of the salon and discovers Dana Satterfield right beside the water heater. She was naked from the waist down and had been beaten and strangled. The cause of death was strangulation, which was caused from being strangled with a duffel bag strap that was left suspended from the water heater. Dana had no scheduled appointments during the night, no cash was taken, and no valuable equipment was taken, so authorities ruled out robbery. Detectives examine the water heater in search of the killer's fingerprints, and they discover one. One of the officers was certain that they had the killer's fingerprint, and male DNA was discovered on Dana as a result of the sexual assault. As you can guess, Mike Satterfield was the first suspect. When a woman is separated, divorced, or the marriage is not going well, someone is murdered, and it's usually the women, and the husband is usually the main suspect. Mike's fingerprints was found on the water heater and authorities suspected he killed Dana because he realized that the two were not getting back together. Mike's fingerprints were found on the water heater and authorities suspected he killed Dana because he realized that they were not going to get back together. But Mike was at a loss for words and he didn't know what to do. He had lost his wife in such a a terrible way, and he was left to raise two children. He didn't know what to do without his wife. Authorities looked at Mike, and they realized that he could not have killed Dana, since the killer fled through the window, and Mike was a huge man. He was a thick, tall man, and it would have been impossible for him to climb through the window. Mike, on the other hand, did not fit the description of the man jumping out of the window. Shirley described the man as a white young male, about 5'9", with long brown hair and no facial hair, who was dressed in light wash pants and a gray t-shirt. Mike also had an alibi for the night Dana was murdered. He was on his way to pick up his children from a friend's house. Authorities later learned that Mike's fingerprint was on the water heater because he installed it himself. So therefore, obviously, his fingerprints are going to be there. Officers discovered another fingerprint in blood and entered it in the system to see if it matched anyone who had been arrested in South Carolina, but they didn't find a match. About two weeks later, a man named Ken Smith came forward. He was a customer of Dana. He stated that around 8.40 p.m. on the night Dana was murdered, he was driving past the salon and noticed the lights were turned off, but her car was still there. He then sees a man on the shoulder of the road next next to the salon and makes eye contact with the man who is standing beside his white and blue Ford Bronco. Then police were like, we have to find this white and blue Ford Bronco. But it turns out, you know, if you're looking for a certain car, it seems as though everyone has that specific car. So they're having a little bit of trouble with that. One year later, with no developments in the case, an inmate in prison informed authorities that his cellmate, 29-year-old Russell Trevor Quinn, would always comment on Dana's attractiveness. Russell was in prison for raping a woman and tying her to a tree. Although he was not in prison at the time of Dana's murder, Shirley, the woman who witnessed the man jump from the window, was able to identify Russell Quinn from the lineup. When they tested his DNA, it was not a match, and the case went cold for the next 10 years. Ashley Satterfield was 18 years old, 10 years later after her mother was murdered, One day, she decided to take her car to the mechanics to get it fixed. Ashley came in for an oil change, and the mechanic, whose name is Michael, remembered her because she was there just getting her car fixed not long before. Later, Michael discovered that Ashley Satterfield is Dana Satterfield's daughter. The mechanic asked to remain anonymous, but stated that when he spotted Ashley, he knew that he had to help the family get closure. Michael claimed that when he was in high school, his friend, Jonathan Vick gave him a ride in a blue and white Ford Bronco. He stated that Jonathan had mentioned getting a haircut and he found it strange because who gets a haircut so late at night? Jonathan stated that he was headed to Dana's for a haircut and was talking about how attractive she was and things he wanted to do to her sexually. Jonathan then went on and on and on about how he planned to ask her out, which is a crime in itself because Jonathan was 17 at the time, nor did he really have a chance with Dana. Jonathan was upset because his ego was crushed because Michael left. And then Jonathan went on saying oh you know you don't think I have a chance and then told Michael to get out of the vehicle but then again Dana was not going for Jonathan Vick because Dana was a 27 year old woman with two kids of her own who ran her own business she didn't have time for a 17 year old boy After Dana was murdered that night, Michael was going back and forth, questioning if Jonathan truly murdered Dana. Immediately after Dana's murder, Michael contacts police and informs them about his conversation with Jonathan Vick, as well as the fact that he was driving a blue and white Ford Bronco. They questioned Jonathan's mother, asking where the vehicle was the night Dana was murdered and who was driving it. The family got so tired of being questioned by police that they made a sign that said, quote, This is not the Bronco, do not waste your time. Authorities pursued a new route, obtaining a court order for Jonathan Vick's DNA, but the order was denied because driving near the crime scene was insufficient proof. Ten years later, the mechanic contacted the police again, urging them to investigate Jonathan Vick. He did not want to provide his name since he was convinced his friend was a murderer and could do the same thing to him. But police needed his name in order to obtain a court order. When Michael gave up his name, they got Jonathan's DNA, and it was a match to the one found on the rape kit. This is what police and prosecutors were able to come up with. After school, Michael requested a ride from Jonathan and stated that he was going to Dana's salon for a haircut. Jonathan Vick also mentioned how gorgeous she was and what he wanted to do to her. But that would never happen because, again, like I mentioned, Dana was a grown woman with two children and her own business. What was she going to do with a high school boy? Jonathan discussed his plans to ask her out on a date. He arrives at the salon at 8.30 p.m. She is getting ready to leave. And police suspect Jonathan Vick made the meeting sexual, which she did not want. He became upset, closed the door, turned off the lights, and attacked Dana. He raped her before strangling her to death. He then exited through the window, which no one understands why he jumped through a window when the door was right there. They found the composite sketch to be identical. The fingerprints of Jonathan Vicks were not discovered at the salon because not every time you touch something it leaves a print. It has to do with the amount of oil on your skin and the texture that you're touching. Michael stated that he did not come forward until years later because Jonathan literally threatened to kill him if he did. At the time, Jonathan had a criminal record and had been arrested several times for domestic abuse. Jonathan was still living in South Carolina when he was arrested. He had served two years in the military and worked at roughly 15 different jobs before being fired or asked to leave because he just apparently couldn't get get along with anyone. In 2002, Jonathan was dating Heather Sellers and was recently engaged to her. She was working at Waffle House and she brought a backpack with her that had an extra set of clothes since she would be going on a date with Jonathan that evening. And that was the last time she was seen. And then her car was found at the bottom of a river. Jonathan Vick was convicted of the rape and murder of Dana Satterfield in 2006 and sentenced to life in prison. Jonathan maintained his innocence and emphasized how terrible it is to convict an innocent person. He said quote, Dana's murderer is still at free and I'm going to prison. She did not receive justice end quote. The funny thing is is that you can lie all you want but my gosh DNA doesn't. Ashley Satterfield, Dana's daughter, went on to marry and have two children. She works as a victim advocate for the Spartanburg County Sheriff's Office, assisting survivors who have gone through what she did. She added that she is available at all times in case someone needs to talk to her. She attends bail hearings with victims and encourages them to write impact statements during sentencing hearings. She also created a program to inform inmates about the consequences of their crimes on victims and their families. I am sure that her mother is extremely proud of her for carrying on Dana's legacy and helping so many people who experience one of the worst things possible. And with that, today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday there is a new episode. You can keep up with me and the podcast on Instagram at Criminal Curiosity Pod. Twitter is Crim Curiosity and TikTok is Criminal Curiosity Pod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Till next time. Bye, everyone.